0: will be the first ten verses. You have that, look up, I'll commence reading. If you're visiting, uh, our our procedure here is to uh, select uh, a book of the Bible or the session of elders of the Presbyterian Church uh, help the minister along and we discuss the life of the church and its uh, situation, current, current circumstances in life and we talk about the book that we might next consider. So we choose a book and then we then we follow the book. We read the book, we explain it. We help you to make sense of it how it applies to your life. some suggestions, some suggestions and of application. And we do so relying on the spirit to illumine the text, to encourage us and to uh, really knowing the mind of Christ. We want to serve Christ, and we owe him all our attention because he speaks to us in his word. We owe him every diligence in teaching all things that Christ commanded his disciples. We don't choose, pick and choose themes for the church, topics. We just follow the text. And uh, we pray that the Lord will keep us in his text, that he will sanctify his word, and we are sanctified by his word and spirit. So Galatians chapter 2. Verse one. Paul then continues in the Word of God. Then after fourteen years I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation set before me them, and as set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, and set before them the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. to the circumcised, worked also through me, for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles, and they to the circumcised. Only they added, uh, only they asked us to remember the poor the very thing I was eager to do. That's why reading in God's holy, inerrant, infallible word. Beloved, all flesh is as grass, its beauty is the flower of the field. The grass withers and its flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. And this is the word of God that I was just read to you by God's help will be preached. Please be, be seated. Let me bring you up to speed as to where we are in the second chapter. We have a uh, We have an irritant in the church. They are false teachers. They are a real danger. These are Jews who had been baptized. They had taken the name of Christ, just as we saw in the baptism formula today, that rubric. Uh, But they uh, had an understanding of the gospel that was not right. In fact, it was uh, corrupted to the point where it was dangerous. Uh, In scriptures, they're called Judaizers, but we'll get to that more and more. Uh, these Judaizers had corrupted the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ by adding uh, Jewish ceremonial requirements and even moral requirements onto perfection of the law, onto the attaining of the law in order to become acceptable to God. That is to say, to be regarded as just before God. Uh, These false teachers claimed the doctrinal support Of other Christians, even the most prominent, uh, that is the Jerusalem church. They claimed that that was the understanding of the gospel of the Jerusalem church and of its apostles there. But but Paul, uh, in order to refute their false gospel and restore the true gospel of the grace of God in Christ here continues in chapter 2 in this passage to defend his apostleship. And to show that the gospel he preaches among the Gentiles is the same gospel that the rest of the apostles preach in Jerusalem, to Jewish converts, circumcised but now baptized Christians, and these are corrupt, uh, these have been converted to Christ so the teaching that 's the context the teaching here for us this morning in verses one through ten is as follows that the gospel must be affirmed and must be preserved by all believers everywhere at all times without the least compromise, especially by its appointed ambassadors, the gospel messengers. Again, the gospel must be affirmed and and preserved by all believers everywhere and at all times without the least compromise, but especially by God's ambassadors, his gospel messengers. There's four points. And uh, let's consider the first point. The one true gospel. Uh, That one true gospel is affirmed by by all the apostles. Paul uh, had independently, uh, independently of the rest of the apostles, there were 12 uh, in Jerusalem, Uh, Judas failing, they appointed another to to assume his office. There were 12. And then there were others that were apostles, so named because they had some knowledge of the living Christ, and they also were noted in Jerusalem as apostles. We'll get to that later. But Paul had independently uh, labored as an apostle uh, for many years, he starts out saying 14 years, uh, before confirming it with the other apostles. There was a considerable time gap, and he was apart from them geographically. So Paul didn't receive the gospel from any other apostle. That's where you, you must receive the gospel because Jesus is now dead, buried, uh, resurrected, and ascended. He's in heaven, and the gospel comes to the world through the commissioned uh, apostles of Jesus, as Matthew 28 clearly teaches. Um, now, he wasn't alone in holding the gospel. He had other workers. There was Barnabas and there was Titus. Other believers traveled with Paul and they also affirmed the same gospel. And it was the same gospel as the apostles held in Jerusalem. The Lord then, the Lord himself had directed Paul to return to Jerusalem in a vision he says in this passage. The Lord was very intimate. He spoke to him directly as, as Jehovah spoke with Moses face to face. There was no mistaking the voice of Jehovah. Paul was was not going to make a mistake in receiving revelation from the Lord Jesus. Uh, he knew better than that. Jesus had knocked him off a horse and uh, pretty much convinced him that, uh, yeah, he, he, needs, he needs to be listened to. He's Lord. Now, uh, a vision, uh, again, visions and direct revelation, that, that is, again, another mark of an apostle. Again, that is not done today. This revelatory gift has ceased with the apostles and the early prophets, okay, in the church. Paul met with the pillars of the Jerusalem church, I mean, the main supports. Now, there are ancillary work, workers, and all apostles, of course, are of the foundation along with Christ of the church, but, but there were some that were so more robust, robust and, and august in their ministry that these were the mainstay of the church. They're called pillars. And uh, with with these, Paul met the pillars of the Christian faith in Jerusalem. And, but a public meeting would have uh, would have been a little dangerous. There had ensued persecution because of the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. There was a great division. There was great strife. Onto persecution, Paul, as Saul of Tarsus, had even uh, been implicated in that prior to his conversion. So a private meeting was was uh, more discreet, uh, and it showed greater discretion because of the growing tensions, not not merely because of the the unbelieving Jews, but because this very question of what to do uh, with those Jews who had believed and been baptized. They had circumcision. Do they have something that perhaps other believers now coming to faith from other nations, north, south, east, and west, all the nations of the world, They're baptized, sure, well, the the Jewish believers were baptized, but they were also circumcised. Is is that required? Is is that what a Christian uh, ordinance is going forward? That that matter required the first truly ecumenical council, and and you'll read about it in Acts 15, but we'll preach that hopefully in another occasion. Paul sought the consensus of uh, of the apostles. He sought to know the mind of Christ by working with others who had been taught directly of the Lord Jesus. Uh, There is a sweet consensus of the church in the mind of Jesus. It's called the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. There's only one gospel. There's only one church. There's only one truth. There's only one Lord. There's only one baptism. And, and, and And just as the church as it had been redeemed from Egypt, was one in the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud under Moses. You can see plainly that there's one church there. So also in Pentecost, in the Pentecostal fire, and in the preaching and the administration of the the baptism, it's clear that there's only one church. And that is a tremendous witness to 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 the nations. And that one church needs to preserve the one gospel. Paul had sought, then, the consensus. The consensus. Not that he was unsure that he had the right gospel. He knew knew who, who he had learned it from because he had been directly taught by the Lord. But because there is really only one gospel. And he wants to give glory to God because the same one that taught Paul would have taught the rest, and it is sheer joy, my friends, to, to come to another believer and see that they both believe exactly the same thing. Oh, I know that sounds like a fairy tale today, because we've got so many versions of this, of the gospel. But there is only one gospel. Consensus, affirmation, of believers in the essentials of the faith, which the gospel is an essential, is to be sought, is to be prayed for, is, is to be confessed. We, we, we believe, said the Apostles' Creed, from the fourth century on, as we believe in one holy, catholic, and universal church. Oh, would that we would match that statement with our heart's joy in pursuing a most pure, a most wholesome consensus of the true gospel. The true gospel, my friends, is apostolic. The true gospel was taught by Jesus to his apostles and only to them was it revealed at first. So we must look for the apostolic affirmation, the apostolic gospel in every page of Scripture, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Look at our gospel reading. Look at the long gospel reading today. The grandmother of Timothy, Lois, had taught him the holy faith from a child. Well, that was, that was, before, the, that was before the Christian faith was around. Those were the Old Testament scriptures. Timothy had been, had been circumcised, and yet he had the holy faith because the gospel, though not in explicit forms, but in shadowy forms, were there. In the ceremony of circumcision. The Gospel is apostolic. Look for it in all the New Testament and its subtle foreshadowing in the Old Testament. Now, the understanding of Scripture, my friends, let me remind you, the, the understanding of Scripture is not of any private interpretation. Uh, if you're citing Scripture and you don't know what it's teaching you, it's not doing you any good. The lights have not come on, the Holy Spirit is not teaching you unless, until it illumines your mind with understanding. The Word of God is in the understanding of the Word of God, not in its rote parroting. The understanding of the Scripture is not of any private interpretation. But holy men, in writing it, wrote by the mind of the Holy Spirit. Seek that mind. Seek the mind of Jesus in His Bible, in His church. That's what all Christians earnestly desire to hear the voice of Christ in the Word and in the preaching. The one true gospel is affirmed, though, by consensus among all apostles. Second point, the one true gospel must be preserved. Circumcision as an entry into the church is no longer valid. And if it's not of the gospel, it's something that's an addition to the gospel. In fact, that addition actually detracts from the gospel. Because in the gospel, you have a, f- a whole economy, a complete package of salvation. And if you receive the Christ of the gospel, you receive everything. You receive uh, justification. God receives you in his presence. You receive the grace of adoption. That's all. You're, you're in his house. You receive sanctification. That is to say, his, his spirit is in you working to, to put to death the, the deeds of the body, the corruption that still abides and leading you into a holy life. Sanctification is yours. Glorification is yours already, as declared, because God, in a beginning a work in you, will complete it. All is done because Jesus, the Immaculate Son of God, worked salvation, and He is now your head. And He presents, represents you even as A.J., as a son in, this, in the Jones family is represented at court by the father and the mother in this marriage. And so you lack nothing if you have received and believed the gospel, if you have received Jesus, the, the, free, off, the free offer of salvation. Titus, however, had been an uncircumcised Gentile, um, and he was acceptable to the apostles there in Jerusalem. Uh, Paul makes the case. Look, if Titus, being uncircumcised, it was okay to, to Peter, James, and John, then uh, What's, what's the problem here? It's the same case. Let's, let's be consistent here. That's Paul's argument. Timothy in Jewish, of, of Jewish lineage as I already alluded to was circumcised to avoid scandal when evangelizing Jews. Okay, He was circumcised uh, to avoid scandal. The Old Testament ceremonialism Paul is saying this is no longer part of what goes forth to the Gentiles. Now, this is not a requirement. Uh, You've added a rule that is not to be added because you have not understood the gospel and so in not understanding the gospel, you've detracted from the gospel. You've detracted from the fullness of Jesus and his free salvation. Old Testament ceremonialism in the form of circumcision must be left behind. Again, it's not the act of circumcision. Paul circumcised Timothy. It's not the act, but it's your understanding of the act. Paul didn't want... He, Paul knew that, gospel, that, that Timothy was complete by the, the message that he believed, even under his grandmother Lois. But he's doing this not to be a scandal to the Jerusalem church when he visited, okay? Or, where, or when, uh, when Timothy uh, traveled about and he first preached in the synagogues. The why is more important than the what. The reason and the motive is governs everything. And the Lord knows our heart, and he knows that we're not seeking a righteousness apart from Christ. And that action was perfectly acceptable. False brothers in Jerusalem challenged all of this, however. They maintained that circumcision was still required. Now these kept uh, crept in secretly. Of course, Paul met, <laughs> in a sense, secretly, uh, because he didn't want to scandalize. These these crept in secretly, not to be uh, have discretion about a doctrinal manner was already uh, conflicting the church, already devising the church. But these kept in, uh, in secret, says Paul, with ulterior motives. Again, it's not it's not the pri- the holding of private... It's not the private uh, holding of, of meetings that, that is condemned. It's the intent. The intent of that, you see. The intent of why people are... This, these people came in, and they, they did it in a private manner, but they kept in. Why? Because they would steal away... Our liberty. They wanted to bring us into a bondage, a situation where we are again under the rule of law, and the law says, Do this or you shall die. The law says, Do this and you will live. And that's the dominion of law, of works, and necessarily of death, of sin, of death and damnation. But we are. In Christ, emancipated, and we are delivered from an state of condemnation and wrath at sin and death, onto an estate of grace, of glory, of righteousness, of everlasting life. Paul preaches that everywhere, in the rest of his epistles. But these false brothers in Jerusalem now, who crept in secretly would steal away the believers' freedom in Christ and bring them, they bring them into slavery. And everywhere in slavery, everywhere in the, in the Testament, slavery is correlated with a curse. Now, I know in, in real life, we've got, we've got other things. We've got other economic situations to, to look at. But, it's in, but slavery is always indicative of not blessing. But in Christ, we have every blessing in heavenly places. Freedom of religion, then, when it is erroneous in essentials, is slavery. There are plenty of men producing, or uh, publishing an incomplete gospel and, and the, to the degree that it is incomplete, it is corrupted. It is a perverse representation of the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. Sometimes it's oversimplified and thereby lacks the true gospel content that sometimes it's Other things are added to it, and that is, again, a a corruption. Freedom of religion, as glorious as that is in America. We love our liberties, don't we? Um, Well, when error sets in in the essentials, they have stolen from you. They have not given you anything. You've gone home poorer. Check your pockets. And I don't mean the money on the offering plate. Secret doctrinal errors and sins in the church will be ferreted out by the Holy Spirit the Lord is tender to his bride the Lord is zealous over his own possession and he will keep her and when wolves and others that come and are dangerous and they will not avow what they truly believe but they will go along and they they're holding dangerous, damnable heresies. If that's revealed in the church, you know, the elders may not catch it, although they're supposed to be supervising. The, the minister, eh, he's a little slow. He doesn't have photographic memory anyway, you know. The Holy Spirit sees this and he will ferret it out. Don't play the hypocrite with your church vows. Don't play the hypocrite with your ministerial vows especially. The apostles unanimously refuted the legalists. Why? There's no, there's no wiggle room here. There's no compromise. There's not, a, there's not an iota or a tittle of compromise to the gospel. And why? Paul is zealous just as zealous as he was to persecute the Christians. Because they were Christians, now he's zealous to maintain them as Christians. <laughs> the man has been completely converted. So that the Gentiles in all the nations could be preserved in, in the truth, in the faith. What was at stake was not merely a, 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 nice, a doctrinal nicety, my friends. This is not the, the school of philosophers in Athens. This is not a A chalkboard for geometry at stake is the the future of the entire world the gospel must go forth to the nations entire or the nations abide under the wrath and curse of God for their sin this battle has to be won and the ground gained in the battle must be preserved so that the Gentiles and all peoples could be preserved in the faith. That's why Paul, that's why Paul has zeal in this. The one true gospel, the one true gospel is the word of God that, that's, that sanctifies and preserves God, Christ's church everywhere. And if a church will not admit to the world that Christ is the way and the truth and the light that no one comes to the Father except through him. If the church will not confess that truth before a dying world, it is no church. It has departed from Christ. It has left the one who calls them by grace for himself in the gospel. Paul had the true gospel because he had received it from its principal author, the Lord Jesus Christ, there on his way to Damascus, Acts chapter nine. But even the pillars here in, in Jerusalem didn't add a thing. Nor did they take anything away from Paul's message. He didn't need. Paul certainly didn't need uh, an appendage to what he was preaching. He didn't need. He didn't need a, a supplement. He didn't. He didn't need any any reinforcement. Any slight correction? You know, like with, with, with Apollos. Paul, When he heard Apollos preaching there among the Gentiles, oh man, this guy was mighty in scriptures. But you know what? He didn't understand fully the way of the Lord. He had significant knowledge. Apollos took, took him aside. Okay, let's look. Look, you've got it mostly right, but let me bring you an up-to-date. Here's what's really happening. Apollos, oh, okay, Apollos. Okay. Apollos could be corrected. But the pillars added nothing or took away nothing. So much for boasting in men. So much is boasting in the flesh. The gospel glorifies God in Christ and Him alone. Perversions of the gospel they have to be something. There has to be something there that gives glory to man. The interest of the flesh is most is most, most satanic. It's like Lucifer turned Satan in the garden. He must have some glory above the creatureliness that was set in him by God when he created that angel. And we are that viper's sons when we steal the glory, any glory from Christ in the gospel to make a boast not only in our human creatureliness, but in our fallen human creatureliness, our sinful fallen human creatureliness in Adam because we are under that covenant of works until we are brought into a covenant of grace in Christ. It is very demonic, this boasting in men. We see it in Galatia. We we see it in in the Corinthian churches. It's all demonic. My friends, there will always be enemies of the true gospel, even in the church. Why should I say especially in the church? Antichrist emerges from within the church. There can be no anti-anything until the thing is established. An antichrist comes to the one who establishes Christ. The truth must never be compromised. No, for one minute, and that's what Paul did. Third point in the sermon. The one true gospel, then, is universal. I already alluded to this. The true gospel was first delivered to the the circumcised, the Jew. They were under covenant. They had every advantage, including this very same gospel and picture forms in the Old Testament. The gospel there was in the Old Testament, but in shadowy ways. And so Jesus says of Abraham that he believed, and Paul says that Abraham believed God's promise and was justified by faith. And we are his sons, and we also believe the gospel as Abraham did, by faith, receive the salvation of Christ. To the circumcised first, because they were the household of God, and judgment begins in the household of God. To Peter, James, and John, uh, the ministry in Jerusalem. And to the uncircumcised, the one true gospel again is delivered. If it's delivered to the Jew, then to all nations, then this gospel is universal. Paul's ministry among the Gentiles must resemble and this essential, the gospel essentials, in every way, to that in Jerusalem. All gospel ministers have spiritual fellowship then, in the Lord Jesus and in this truth. Our fellowship is in the truth. Our fellowship is in one spirit, one Lord, one baptism. That's what baptism represents. We're all incorporated in union with Christ, and that can't be the that that cannot be a, a reality unless we truly all have heard the the voice of our Lord Jesus and been instructed by him in his word. And so the gospel ministers here in Jerusalem, and Paul was received, he extended the right hand of fellowship, just like I shook uh, the hands of Mr. Jones here this morning. don't remember if I shook Mariah's hand. Did I shake your hand? I don't know. Okay, I did. She says I did. Right hand of fellowship. Our fellowship has to be in the truth. We have fellowship in community, and we can have many friends that want many things. I, you know, I mean, I belong to a, a fish club, and I shake hands with everybody there. Do we have a fellowship? Yeah, yeah. We we talk about little bitty fish from Africa and South Africa. Yeah, it's a fellowship. In the church, the fellowship is is in the spirit, with Christ as the head, and His Word governing all things. And they, and then the, therefore they accepted one another graciously, even as Christ had ac- accepted them. That's what the right hand of fellowship means. I, we're at peace. The old Roman handshake means: Look, I, I don't have my dagger. I'm giving you my right hand. This is my arm of strength. No dagger. I'm not going to kill you. There it is. Can I see your hand? No dagger. We're friends. Hi. We're friends. Gentiles and Jews. That's the great mystery one body, one lord, one faith, one baptism, one faith. And so my friends, we too have to accept every believer that comes to us if they make a profession of faith, no matter what color, no matter what no no matter their, their education, no matter their their social position, their their wealth, their poverty, their language. We got like 16 languages in this in this church. That doesn't matter at all. The essential thing is that they are we are brothers because of the one gospel that we have loved and cherished and embraced and received and keep and we keep this charitable we keep this charitable opinion of them unless they can be proven to be infidels or heretics heretics we don't throw out of the church we work with them you know that we we hope to teach them and we'll be patient we don't throw any heretics out of the church we We bring them with the church discipline, we might excommunicate them, but we don't kick them out of here. They want to continue with us, fine. Infidels, however, have to be warned. Every believer must be accepted charitably. They are heirs of heaven and earth, and all things are theirs, and you are theirs. And we need to act like that. Differing people, cultures, languages, times, education, Sure. Lots of, lots of diversity. Lots of diversity in, in Christ's kingdom on earth. All diversity. Wonderful. One gospel. One Lord. One faith. One baptism. The fourth point of the gospel is uh, of this preachings is that the one true gospel unites. It unites all Christians in love. And it will not fail to unite all Christians in love. It will not fail. Because the Spirit, the same Spirit that after Jesus' baptism cast Him, threw Him into the wilderness to be tempted, that same Spirit will drive us. He will dog us to be among His children, His church. He will prevail. He will hunt us and haunt us because we are Christ's possession, and Christ is very zealous over his precious possession. And if you're a Christian, you're going to find yourself in a church. You can challenge that if you want. But if you've got the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's going to throw you into a church. The Jewish Christians there in Jerusalem had persevered in this one gospel after much persecution they were thrown out of the synagogue. Why? There is no compatibility between the darkness and the light. Our darkness will try to heave the light out of its presence. The light will try to persevere and try to convince, here we go. They were thrown out of the synagogues. They lost company. they lost their businesses, they lost friends, they lost family members. They had long-suffered persecution in Jerusalem because of this one true gospel. And now the Jerusalem church, the members of the church, they were in need of financial support because they were hurting. They had become poor. Persecution, yeah, it purges the church of a lot of a lot of filth, a lot of false sons are purged out, a lot of error. When Christ comes near to you and sits on you until you finally see the truth, the Jerusalem the now, the church had, of all those uh, intervening years, had become poor. They, they are now in need of, of financial support for holding the gospel. And then Paul's argument is in, in Romans, just as the Jews, uh, excuse me, in, in his uh, letters to Thessalonica, just as the Jewish converts had given of their spiritual resources. And the spiritual riches, all, all, of, all of the Old Testament scriptures and all, just as that that treasure had been with the Jews and they have now given them to the Gentiles with a new understanding of Christ, so now the Gentile converts should regard their poor brothers become poor by persecution. The Gentile converts should regard their poor brothers in Jerusalem and come to their financial aid. And this is why the apostles and Paul says, only let's remember the poor, wherever the gospel goes. This is not a woke, sh- we're not talking woke here. We're not. Ta- this is not a woke movement. This is just what the Bible says, guys. D- don't. There's, no, there's no embarrassment to, to receive a poor brother, to walk and befriend a poor brother, to include them in your, in your table at home. This is, not, this is just plain old Christianity. We're not doing anything radical here. Gentle converts should regard their poor brothers because they were made rich by their holding the gospel onto their poverty now in the dire poverty of the Gentiles. And there's no greater poverty than spiritual poverty. They were enriched by the Jews. Well, let's help one another out. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one body, one church. Members care for one another. When one grieves, all grieve. When one succeeds in rejoicing, all rejoice. That's the church of Christ. And there is no other church. There is is no other church in the world. Is that your church? Do you want it to be your church? Is this something you want? To glorify Christ and this truth in your life at this time? That's what God is calling us to do at this time and in this place and in this church in Houston. Conclusion. The gospel must be affirmed and it must be preserved from all corruption by all believers everywhere at all times without the least compromise, especially by God's appointed stewards and ambassadors, messengers, his preachers. My friends, it is the duty of all gospel ministers to to contend for the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. The faith is once and for all delivered to the saints. We do not have ongoing revelation the, the revelation that Christ gave his apostles are not inscripturated. It was once given. It is no longer being given. It is a lie. People are going around saying, I'm an apostle, I've saw Jesus. Hey, no, 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 no. You've got something wrong with your mind. I don't know what's wrong, but this is not what the Bible says. You're wrong. The foundations are laid. And they're sure. And there is no other foundation but Christ. It's the duty of all gospel ministers to contend for the faith once delivered to the saints. And if, should, and if that faith should be corrupted and evaporated, what will the righteous do? There is no foundation. The land emerged from the sea so that man and creatures could live on the land. That's the foundation of life on earth in in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. But if the righteous foundation of the gospel is eroded and and, and trivialized and corrupted and perverted to mean its opposite, there is no foundation to support the Christian faith. And we've got ministers and seminaries, so-called Reformed, that are challenging the historicity of Adam, that are challenging the, the work of creation, in, in, in however space of time, it's all chaos, man. It's chaos. And we've had a perversion of the gospel since the dawn of the fall of man. But it's our duty to fight. This is the church militant. It is the duty of all believers and to know the true gospel and to reject all counterfeit gospels with utter detestation as a bomb that destroys foundations. It's a killer. False teachers will receive a greater condemnation. Gospel sins are treacherous and murderous. They're mother sins that lead to all other sins. They are soul-killing sins. You've got to appraise the error of this sin as Paul does, as the apostles did. Otherwise you will not be zealous to preserve the integrity of the gospel. You want peace in the church? You want harmony in the church? First thing that goes wrong in the church, you suspect a corrupted gospel. Yeah. A a misrepresentation of who Christ is and His work. That's the gospel. A misunderstanding, an error... Of the person of Christ in his work is the root of every every division, every error, every strife, every battle in every church. Heresy is christological at its root. You get the gospel right, everything everything comes wrinkle free. Gospel sins then. need to be addressed. Christ only attends churches. Christ only is in the midst of His churches who dwells... Christ who dwells among the lampstands is working and striving vigorously that the churches not only receive the true gospel and maintain it, but then act according to all their behavior. And that's what He's doing in Revelations chapter 2 and 3. He's working among the lampstands. He's addressing His churches. Several are commended. Some are, several are exhorted to unto perseverance, and some are, are, are 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 rebuked. So the fruit of the Spirit must be evident, love, joy, and peace. The kingdom of God is about righteousness and peace in the Holy Spirit and joy. And those who have the gospel will have that. And we will not see parties in the church. We will not see little splits and little little cliques legalists bring division and those who dismiss the law altogether are no better. Neither side have the truth, neither side have the spirit, both are in error. Now you listen, my friend, to the gospel. You listen to the ministers as he reached the words. You listen to his boast in Christ. You listen to his work in obeying the whole law of God where Adam missed in one detail in the garden now Christ, as a, as a Hebrew, persevered under many, many commandments victoriously. And he is our righteousness. And God, though they they charged him with blasphemy when he confessed that he was the Son of God, and that's why he was hanged on the cross. But he didn't remain dead. He resurrected. And he, after his resurrection, he appeared to many witnesses, proving that this is... This is the glorified Jesus Christ. Once died, will never die. The Roman Catholic Mass, re-crucifying the body of Christ, is an abomination. It is blasphemy. It's the greatest lie perpetuated. More dangerous than abortion in in this nation. It'll bring a greater judgment, ultimately, to those who forbear in that error than ever a pagan nation without the gospel would ever endure. Every gospel preaching, must, every minister in every sermon must have something of, to say of Jesus' glory and redeeming his nation. And to boast in him and him alone as perfectly sufficient and adequate to that task. No amendations. What am I then to believe for salvation? That question must be addressed in every sermon. What must I do to be saved? How, do I, how, what, what, how then shall I live? That's what sermons are to be about. Not how to be a better husband. Not how to be, change the oil in your car. It's about how to live in the presence of God with holiness and by faith enduring for His own glory. My friends, you need to know this gospel and you need to rehearse this gospel to yourself every day. Everywhere we look around, we see, we see a tsunami of lawlessness. We see see men acting in lawlessness, boasting in their libertine, so-called liberties, but actually they have become corrupt and they are under, they're enslaved. The gospel brings true liberty. The, The gospel makes us slaves of righteousness. Is that your gospel? Have you bent the knee to to Christ? Have you taken his yoke upon you and learned from him? For he's meek and lowly, and he will give you rest. And by his almighty power and spirit, you can walk in the ways of God without being a legalist or without being a perverse man who throws away all law. Are you walking the narrow way? It's a razor's edge, it's the spirit's way. Is that your gospel? Or have you been bewitched? Rehearse the gospel to yourself daily. It's your soul's lifeline. And if you don't know the gospel, let's meet up, meet up with your elders. Let's let's talk. I try to make it plain, it needs to maybe plainer, but here it is again. Christ is given for you as a covenant. Before God, altogether righteous, altogether acceptable to God. If you are in Christ by faith, you have union with Him in the Holy Spirit, you have eternal life. You've died with Him at the cross. You've been buried with Him in His grave. You have ascended with Him and now are seated with Him. According to Ephesians 1, in heavenly places, all blessing is yours. Every blessing in spiritual places. My friends, that's all good news. He gives all glory to God and makes no boast in the flesh. And the law approves of it because it drives us to God because it speaks of righteousness, but when we look at the law, we say, well, no, we're, we're not, we have not attained. Right. That's why the gospel announces what we have attained in Christ. Christ has attained it for us. And both law and gospel have to go forward, otherwise there's no gospel. And there's no church. And there's no, ple- there's no abiding presence of God either. Believe this and give God All glory. Now to Him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before His glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the one true God. Be glory, majesty, power, and dominion now and forevermore. May God bless you in Christ with this gospel. Let's pray. Lord, inscribe this gospel in our hearts and no other. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's have an offering, please.